It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Oh, recording? Nice. Welcome to a cranky version of Rico Bronia, Evan Roberts, Pete Hoffman. I'm still on vacation. I still have waves about 150 feet from me, but this sucked. Everything about this four-game series sucked. The way they got their ass kicked in game one and game two, the injuries they're dealing with, Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, and then obviously the capper. The Mets losing a game to the Atlanta Braves, in which I can make an argument, was the worst played game we've seen the Mets play all season long. Because uh, they haven't had a lot of these. They haven't had a lot of these. And there's a lot of examples to go through from the fourth game of this series. A big game, a swing game, if you will. Uh, a chance to get a split against Atlanta. A chance to increase the divisional lead back up to six games in the loss column. Instead, it now goes back down to four. But the one that jumped out at me, and really the reason they lost three out of four in this series to Atlanta, even going back to game one and game two, We'll talk about those games. I also want to get into the playoff format, which I think is very significant, which we didn't see coming in terms of off days and lack their off days, which was announced earlier this week. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But the theme of this series in the three losses to Atlanta is they didn't hit. And I think it's easy when you look at the first game of this series to kind of pin it on Carlos Carrasco got hurt. Pin the second game on Taiwan Walker got hurt, and now you're trusting R.J. Alvarez to get outs. But they didn't freaking hit. They scored one run in game one. They got shut out in game two. They made Charlie Morton look like Doc Halliday in his prime. And in the finale of this series against Max Freed and then A.J. Minter, Rossella Iglesias, and Kenley Jansen, they could not hit. Outside of Mark Canna, who shockingly hit that two-run home run and that great at-bat in the fifth inning, they didn't hit in this game. They didn't hit. That was the bottom line. And so when you don't hit... Little tiny itsy-bitsy mistakes can bite you in the ass. And so when you look back at the game-winning hit by Michael Harris, in which, look, I got no issue. I like the fact that Buck allowed Jacob DeGrom to start the seventh inning. His pitch count was only 78 through six. So if he pulls him after six, then <laughs> I think we're all shrugging our shoulders. Like, all right, when are you going to let this guy pitch? But you, you figured, and I could see this one coming when he's ahead of Vaughn Grissom that you knew, and Keith even said it on the broadcast, he's got to get this guy out or he's coming out of the game. And obviously, something kooky can happen once he comes out of the game. And boy, did we see kooky. Like Slaughter's mad dash from the 46 World Series. I don't even know why I'm bringing something up 80 years ago, but a base hit the center field, a C&I, little weak, was about to use a bad word, ground ball up the middle, but there are kids in this house. And I want to keep the podcast somewhat family-friendly. But a meek ground ball up the middle. 
and Hoff, you could see it coming. Because you knew Brandon Nimmo's got a spaghetti arm. You knew the base runner is Vaughn Grissom, and he's running on the play, and he's somewhat fast. You could see that whole effing thing coming as he scores on a goddamn just slow-rolling single to center field. Did you see that coming the way I did? As soon as that ball went up the middle, you knew, holy crap, Grissom's going to be able to score from first. I was hoping that the cutoff throw was on point and that we'd have a better play, and it was close. But, yeah, I mean, there was never there was never a doubt. Like, even if it was – and it was on point, it was, he was going to score. The tag was laid. Everything was off. And, again, it was just perfect timing. Like, a lazy hit. It was nothing spectacular. Hit and run – and it, and it just it poor and you have to rewind too, the poor play by Beatty not being able to 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 make that grab at third base and get the out. It's 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 simplistic stuff that it was all just bodies in the ass today. Yeah, and I I don't know what to expect from Beatty defensively. I thought overall until that play he'd actually look pretty good defensively at third base. Everything I had read and heard is that defense isn't his strength. That we're going to enjoy his offense, which we did right away, but. Everything about that sequence. You know, Jacob deGrom's facing the bottom of the order. He's head of Vaughn Grissom. I don't know if it was 0-2, but it was 1-2. And, and Grissom kept fouling balls off. And just knowing deGrom's not getting another hitter, Lugo's coming into the game, and whether it's Seth Lugo giving up a two-run bomb or something funky like that, I thought that at-bat to Grissom was so freaking important. Not, not to rip Jake, because, look, the beauty of Jacob deGrom, and I think we saw this in the finale of this series, is that's the worst of Jacob DeGrom. Literally, it, we watched it. He didn't get as many swing and misses as he normally does. He didn't have that same command of his slider that he normally does. Um, there were a ton of hard-hit balls against him, obviously. The third inning, he was giving up ropes all over the place. And yet, if he gets help defensively or Lugo makes a big pitch, his final line is six and two-thirds, two runs. Obviously, it's six and two-thirds, three runs. His bullpen and his defense, once he's out of the game... Didn't help him out. But if that's the worst, if that's literally the worst, and we watch Jake every five days, or at least when he pitches every five days, we've seen him since the guy made his major league debut. This kind of performance on Thursday night against Atlanta is the weakest kind of decrum you'll ever see. And that's amazing. That's part of why he's so brilliant. Scherzer, the same thing from the night before. It wasn't Max's best work. But he was able to battle through it and fight through it. And remember, after Jake runs into trouble in the third inning, in which he's given up the laser beams all over the place, he gives up the double to Dansby Swanson, he gives up the single to Austin Riley, and then gets lucky because Matt Olson hits a line drive, but it was right at Lindor. He goes out and retires, let's see, 4, 7, 10, 13 in a row, or 12 in a row, whatever it was. He really locked down after he had that difficult third inning. But it comes back to the thing I opened with. They didn't hit. They didn't hit in this series. Outside of the third game of this series, obviously, where they put the nine up, they did not hit. And I don't want to get into the, this is what they always do for Jacob DeGrom, because quite frankly, who cares about 2018 right now? Doesn't matter. 2019, doesn't matter. But this loss, I'd argue right now, and I'm, look, we're recording this 10 minutes after the game ended, so you could, I guess it's technically an instant reaction. So maybe I'm being, I guess, emotional because I just watched it. This was their worst loss of the year. I I'm racking my brain thinking of, okay, what loss was worse? And I remember when we first started this podcast, I told Pete, write down the worst losses. I wrote down the worst losses. And they're, they're stretches. Like, second week of the year, they blew a game against the Phillies. They had a bullpen implosion 
I think, in the eighth inning. Okay, they won the next two games of that series. Nobody gives a rat's ass. The, the valent comeback against the Giants, where they were down like 7-2 to or 8-2, to whatever it was, they come back, Diaz gets a big double play, and then he blows it. I think that was Diaz's last blown save. Okay, whatever, we barely remember it. This is going to be memorable, not because I'm telling you they're about to lose 10 out of 12 or anything like that, but the Braves continue to not go away. And that's the difference between winning this game and losing this game. Look, the Mets are still four games up in the loss column in the NL East. They're still in a good spot. The Braves only have three more games against the Mets, obviously at the end of the season, and the Mets have a very, very easy to soft September schedule. So do I still feel good about winning this division? Yes, but this win keeps it tight. This win keeps it close, whereas if you win this game and you get a split against Atlanta, not only do you secure the season series, which matters, because we have tie breaks nowadays, but you're talking about a six-game loss column lead. So standings-wise, obviously, and then the way they lost this game, the little ground ball up the middle, and then obviously the ninth inning when, I don't know if I'm going to kill Lindor on this, it was just a typical kind of moment from this game where Lindor is running on the first pitch to Alonzo. Alonzo bloops it to right center field. It obviously falls in. Lindor dove in his second thinking he was stealing a base. Gets up, doesn't look, runs back the first, he's out. You know who I'm going to blame on this? Maybe, maybe I'm crazy. I'm going to blame Pete Alonzo because Lindor is going to run on Kenley Jansen. Alonzo should know it. Everybody can run on Kenley Jansen. In fact, the Mets took advantage of it two batters later when Devin Marrero stole a base against Kenley Jansen. So if you're Pete, A, you should be aware of everybody runs on this guy. Lindor is the tying run. We know Lindor can steal a base. And in the corner of your eye, you see him running. So take the first pitch. Like, what, what are you trying to do? I know, yes, hit a two-run home run. But let him take second base. He's going to steal that one easily. So when you look at that play, it's tough to kill Lindor because Lindor is stealing second. The dive into second base, can't kill him on. He's focused on stealing second. He now gets up, realizing, wait a second, the ball was hit. And his immediate reaction is, holy crap, I can't be doubled up. Because here's the truth. If Lindor gets doubled up, we're killing him more than being thrown out at second base on a fielder's choice. That's the more, quote-unquote, egregious play. So I'm not even mad at Lindor. If I'm blaming anybody, it's Alonzo. Alonzo should know in that situation. And he should see it at the corner of his eye that Lindor's stealing second. And look, if Lindor steals second, and you got a runner on second... Nobody out with Alonzo up. I don't think they walk him necessarily, even though you've got Vogel back and McNeil coming up and Jansen's actually really tough against lefties. I'm not sure you necessarily put the winning run on base or the go-ahead run on base, but you are talking about a completely different inning. Runner on second, nobody out. Who the hell knows? Maybe Alonzo advances him. Maybe the whole freaking inning is completely different. But when that play happens... On top of the way the Braves took the lead on the ground ball base at the center field where you got a guy scoring from first on a single. I think they called it a double. BS, it's a single. It's a single and a fielder's choice. That's how he gets the second. In fact, in my scorebook, I refuse to write a double. I'm not putting a goddamn double for that. That's a single to center field. All right, so if they changed it, whatever. I don't care. Sometimes I'm badass with my scorebook. I score what I think is right, and that's one of those examples. But all these little tiny, pain-in-the-ass things that contributed to this loss. So many of them. How about the fact that in the third inning, 
And this was right before the Braves actually took the lead. Let's not forget this. Let's not bail out James McCann and Brandon Nimmo and Starling Marte at a very quiet game after the big game three. They got first and third and nobody out. And this is literally what I said out loud. First and third, nobody out. McCann's up. I was rooting for him to ground into a double play. I was. Because my attitude was, you know what? Just give me a, just give me a freaking run. Just hit a ground ball to shortstop. They're playing back. They're going to turn two. They're going to concede the run. Turn the double play. Let's take a one nothing lead. Let's call it a day. Not that Jake's going to literally hold just a one-run lead. It happens. I wasn't expecting it. But just give me a freaking run right on the board. And what does James McCann do? I know he had the double later in the game. Another opportunity that they failed on. But he strikes out. Brandon Nimmo strikes out. Brandon Nimmo had one of his worst games of the season. He strikes out three times, even in that really good at-bat against Minter in the eighth inning. But he strikes out with a runner on second. He strikes out with first and third, one out in the third inning. He just, and then obviously, he's got a weak arm. I'm not really ripping him. And I don't think he wasn't hustling on that base at the center field. I think he was trying to get there. I just think he's, he's a klutz sometimes. Like, I think he was running to get to the baseball. I just, you know, he's got a crappy arm. That's really what it comes down to. And good job by the Braves. They knew it. They read the scouting report. But Brandon Nemo had a rough day. Starling Marte had a rough day. James McCann with first and third, nobody out. Just hit the freaking ball to shortstop and ground into a double play. And just little things throughout this game. Little tiny things jumped out at you as, crap, they're not going to win this game. Crap, they're not going to win this game. God damn, they're not going to win this game. And then obviously, McNeil taps out with Marrero on second base. And they lose a frustrating game. They lose the worst game they've had this season. And look, this is a, this is a different feeling for us. You know, we've done a lot of Rico Bronias where we're feeling good, where we're happy, where we're giddy, where, hey, let's pinch ourselves. But this is a rare series loss to a team we hate. Hasn't happened this season. And I was hoping that the fortunes of the Mets and the Braves feel different, or at least they have felt different this season, that in 1999, we're the Braves, they're the Mets, we stick it up their ass. Brian Jordan rips a double up the alley. Something like that. And it just didn't happen in this game. Because winning this game, even though it's a split of the four-game series, it would have felt like a win. It would have been like Rocky won. We lost, but we won. Something like that. Uh, the the four-game series against the Dodgers earlier this season that we called one of the great splits of all time. It would have felt that way. And instead, we have a pennant race. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And not only do we have a pennant race, we got to deal with some injuries. So let's address that. First, we've got Carlos Carrasco, who's going to be out a month 
that whole thing sucked. And, and I don't think the rain delay had much to do with it, though. When he comes out after, what I write down, a 55-minute rain delay. And, <coughs> excuse me, he stays in the game, actually gets through the inning, which is a good job by him. And then all of a sudden he leaves with the side issue. Your brain starts to wonder, does it have anything to do with the rain? I don't think it did. But it was just terrible, terrible timing. And then obviously in that game, it forces the Mets to have to use Joely Rodriguez and, you know, Adonis Medina. And the game became very, very ugly. But at that point, my worry was, all right, is Carlos Carrasco going to miss time? And if he does miss time, okay, we got David Peterson in the bank. Not a big deal. David Peterson deserves to be in this rotation. And even though he was going to make a start this weekend in Philadelphia, all right, if he's got to permanently slide into the rotation not that big of a deal. We get the news. It's basically going to be a month. I'll tell you right now, a month from now takes you into the middle part of September. I don't know what to expect from Carlos Carrasco. Can they build him back up to be a starter? Do the Mets almost say, all right, you go to the bullpen? And by the way, a lot of this relates to the conversation we'll have in a little bit about this playoff format, which I thought was significant news a couple of days ago. So Carrasco's out, short-term, all right, David Peterson takes his spot. Then you get to the second game of this series where Taiwan Walker, all of a sudden, as that ground ball to first base is fielded by Alonzo, and he flips it to Taiwan Walker, you can see he's agitated, you can see he's pissed off, he goes down into the tunnel, he's coming out of the game. And so now all of a sudden you go from, Oh, we got David Peterson to fill in for Carlos Carrasco. Oh, no. You tell me Trevor Williams has to rejoin the rotation? Because who knows how serious this is. And obviously the other thought is, can they win the game? Because Taiwan Walker leaves a 0-0 game in the bottom of the third inning. And you see R.J. Alvarez come in knowing Steven Nagosik's in the bullpen. And there's no shot they're winning this game. The only way they were going to win that game is if they pounded Charlie Morton. That was it. They were going to have to beat the crap out of Charlie Morton. They were going to have to score some runs, and they didn't do it. They got, I mean, they got freaking mowed down by Charlie Morton. This is a Met team that doesn't strike out a lot, and Charlie Morton striking everybody out. I think in the second inning he struck everybody out looking. Struck out twelve guys in six and two thirds. He was brilliant, knowing R.J. Alvarez has to get big outs and Adonis Medina. Well, no, Adonis Medina was the night before. Steven Nagosik. I mean, your cavalcade of garbage quadruple A pitchers. That one's a loss. You can shut this game off early, but you're concerned about Ty. It does feel like with Walker, it's not serious, at least for now. Uh, the way the Mets left it is he could start on Sunday, but Taiwan Walker will only pitch if he's 100%. At this point, don't pitch him. Look, I know you appear and look at this four-game series with Philly and say, oh, it matters. It's important. The lead over Atlanta shrunk down now to four games. I get all that. You can't push it with Taiwan Walker because the Mets' starting pitching depth is being tested. David Peterson's a great swing guy. Him entering the rotation, fine. If you've got to throw Trevor Williams now into the rotation, it hurts you in two ways. Number one, I don't think he's that good. And number two, you lose that somewhat reliable long man on nights where you've got to go to your bullpen very early. It also tests you a lot this weekend because, unfortunately for the schedule, they have a doubleheader against the Phillies in your short arms. So you're putting yourself in a spot in this four-game series against Philadelphia where you know Bassett starts Friday, you know Peterson and Williams start Saturday, and now you're going even deeper in your depth to have to start Sunday. Jose Budo would be the guy to make the start. 
He pitched tonight or Thursday night in Syracuse. They pulled him after one inning. He's a 24-year-old right-hander. Uh, he was just called up to AAA, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. His numbers aren't great. It is what it is. You throw him out there, you're looking for four or five quality innings. The problem is you're doing that on the heels of a doubleheader in which your two starters are David Peterson and Trevor Williams, where in the best case, you're getting what? Five innings? I mean, with David Peterson, they haven't let him go much past the sixth in any of the starts that he's made virtually. So this weekend is going to be a challenge. The injuries, whether short-term with Taiwan Walker or long-term, and obviously long-term with Carrasco, happened at a very bad time when it comes to the series they're about to play. Now, luckily, they have an off day next week, so that kind of helps out a little bit. Plus, maybe Ty only misses one start. So it really is a short-term issue with this rotation because of the four-game series they have against Philadelphia. Uh, thank God they won game three of the series. My God. And that was a wild freaking game. <laughs> that game never felt safe. And it featured one of my favorite things in baseball, and that is the manager saying, I'm going to use my closer in the eighth inning of a close game because the heart of the order is coming up. So instead of using an average reliever, and let's face it, outside of Diaz, is there anybody in this bullpen you really trust? The answer is no. He goes right to Diaz in the eighth inning after the Braves tighten this game up. Mets obviously had the lead. It looked for a second like, all right, this may actually be a, a comfortable victory. They were up in this game 6-1 to one in the seventh inning, and then all of a sudden, Max Scherzer runs into trouble. Adam Adovino isn't very good. We have ourselves a baseball game. But I loved Buck Showalter going to Diaz in the eighth inning. And I remember when he did that a couple of weeks ago against Atlanta, you run into a few scenarios that could happen. Scenario one is what happened a few weeks ago. He doesn't throw a lot of pitches. You let him try to pitch a second inning. The game remains close. That happened two weeks ago. Option number two is he throws a lot of pitches. It's still a close game. You're asking someone else to close out the game. Kind of like what happened in L.A., where Edwin Diaz only pitched the eighth inning and Lugo pitched the ninth inning. The scenario we had in game three was a different scenario, and it's a scenario that can happen. It's why you use your best pitcher in the eighth inning, and that's the fact that he comes in in the eighth inning, does a good job, didn't throw a lot of pitches, so I think he would have come out for the ninth inning, but the Met offense blows the game open, or at least we think blows the game open. You get the big hit from Pete Alonso. You get the RBI double by Daniel Vogelbach. <coughs> Excuse me. And now you've opened up a big enough lead where you say, I'll go to somebody else for the ninth inning. I'm up by four in the ninth. I'm good. That's scenario number three. And that can happen. That, that's a possibility. And I have no issue with what Buck did. Buck said, look, I got Edwin Diaz gave me a great inning. He threw 10 pitches. I could stretch him for a second inning, but I have a four-run lead. I'd like to have Edwin Diaz available the next day. I feel like as incompetent as my bullpen may be, they can get me three outs and not blow a four-run lead. And then Trevor May came in and made us all sweat. Trevor May came in and said, oh, yeah, you comfortable? Okay. Let me allow three straight base hits. And let me give up a screaming line drive up the alley to Ronald Acuna. And then don't worry, Starling Marte will play nice, make a nice catch, and you guys will calm down. So obviously that could have backfired, but it didn't. And I love it. You use your best pitcher in the eighth inning. And how effing good was Edwin Diaz? One run game, eighth inning. This is right after Scherzer ran into trouble. Adovino ran into trouble. The Mets got out of the inning only because James McCann made a great throw 
nailing Acuna trying to steal second base, and Buck throws the hammer down and says, go try to beat my best pitcher with two, three, four of the order coming up. And he made it look easy. Brilliant work by Edwin Diaz. Great job by the Met offense, specifically Pete Alonso for the big two-run single that at least created a little bit more room. Now, it didn't matter because they never used Diaz the following night, but if the Mets had come back Thursday, Edwin Diaz is available. He wouldn't have been available if Buck stretched him for a second inning in Game 3 of this series. But thank God they won that game. That had disaster from the past written all over it. In 2019, the Mets lose that game. In 2020, the Mets, well, 2020, don't even count, even think about that season. In 2021, the Mets lose that game. So thank God they won it, because if they got swept in this series, uh, I wouldn't be laughing right now in this podcast. It sucks they lost three out of four, but like I said, coming into this stretch, they just got to survive. They got to play 500 baseball over the 11-game stretch. I know it's an uneven number, but five and six, six and five against Atlanta and Philadelphia. The problem is now, it's going to be a challenge doing it in Philadelphia. When you look at the pitching situation for the Mets, when you look at who they're facing and who they're not facing, I'll get to that in a few minutes, this is going to be a challenge. These four games against Philadelphia, Aaron Nola, Chris Bassett, you feel pretty good about. Zach Wheeler in one of the doubleheader games against Peterson and Trevor Williams. And then I guess Kyle Gibson's going to pitch the finale of this series. So, We'll see. It's not the greatest situation when it comes to pitching. I think it puts a lot of pressure on Chris Bassett, the opener of this series. I think Bassett's going to have to give him innings. He's going to have to give more than five innings because they're going to have to use a heavy amount of their bullpen on Saturday with the doubleheader and then obviously Sunday with whoever's starting the game. I assume it's not going to be Taiwan Walker, and I would be conservative about it. As far as Syndergaard's concerned, this is a joke. I'm sorry. I get he's coming off a major injury. I get you want to be careful. Fool me once, shame on somebody. Fool me twice, we're not a bunch of morons. For the second time with a different team, they want to give Noah extra rest. And here's the bad news for Rob Thompson and for Noah Syndergaard. You can run, but you can't hide. There is a fair possibility that the Mets and the Phillies will meet in the postseason. And what are you going to do? Not pitch him? Like, what what are we talking about? And if there is some kind of, I don't want to use the word fear, but if there is some kind of hesitation towards Noah Syndergaard facing the Mets, why would you want his first chance of facing the Mets coming in October? It doesn't make any sense. Like, he's on the Phillies now. He's not with the Angels where it's easy to hide him and never see the Mets again. And the game wasn't even at City Field. I mean, the game's in Philadelphia. What do you think is going to happen? So, I don't know if the Phillies are going to make the postseason. Obviously, you've got that interesting race between St. Louis and Milwaukee for the Central. And then whoever doesn't win the Central, battling for Philadelphia and San Diego, potentially, for those two wildcard spots. But it's very possible that the Philadelphia Phillies are going to make the playoffs. And it's very possible that the bracket is going to set up to have the Mets play the Philadelphia Phillies. So... As a Met fan, we can mock Noah Syndergaard, have fun with it, call him names. But as a baseball fan, I don't understand. Like, it's very likely, impossible slash likely, that Noah Syndergaard is going to have to face the New York Mets in October. So you don't want him to face the Mets in August? What are we talking about? You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's get to Brett Beatty. Hoffman and I were ready to blast the Mets for not calling up Brett Beatty. If we did a, a podcast after game one of this series, you and I would have gone, you know, to town on the Mets for what are we doing? Devin Marrero, what the hell is happening? So thank God they called up Brett Beatty. Hoff, when they first announced, I guess it was, I'm trying to get my day straight, on Monday. All right, Devin Marrero's coming up. No Brett Beatty. Buck Showalter makes the comment, right now we're not calling up Brett Beatty. We're not calling up any of our top prospects. Did you have a thought in your mind of, no, they're going to, they'll call him up. Or did you think that this was going to continue? No, I I actually tweeted, I go, what is this? This is like, you might as well call up Dilson Herrera from the freaking Long Island Ducks or wherever he's playing right now. Like, I felt like this is just another, this was typical Mets old school mentality Let's just bring up the the some older veteran. Give him another who had a cup of coffee. Like we're wasting time. I did not trust that they'd actually do the make the move for Beatty, and I was very nervous and I was frustrated and I wanted to punch a wall. <laughs> it it never made sense. Like obviously Escobar gets hurt, so the Escobar situation almost forced them to have to call him up. But when Guillerme got hurt, it made sense to call him up because and we talked about this on the last Rico. Escobar struggles against right-handed pitching. <coughs> so if you have a guy in Brett Beatty who mashes righties, why wouldn't you call him up just to take the Guillerme portion of the platoon and you know continue to play Eduardo Escobar against lefties? I totally get it. And them not calling him up then and instead going the Marrero way just because they needed someone to play shortstop. Dude, when does Francisco Lindor not play shortstop? And if Francisco Lindor gets hurt, here's what you do. For one day, for a few innings when he's hurt, you stick someone at shortstop who's not a shortstop, and then the next day you call up the guy that can give you, quote-unquote, coverage at shortstop. So I didn't fully buy it then. When Escobar gets hurt, they had no choice. And the Mets have been very hesitant to call up their top prospects. We've seen how aggressive the Braves have been and how it's worked with Michael Harris and Vaughn Grissom. I mean, it's, it's been amazing for them. Uh, I know Yankee fans are dealing with the same thing with what they want, with a top prospect being called up. The Mets were forced to do it. And the fact that Beatty hits a home run in his first at-bat, and more than that, more than that, because even in his second at-bat, he rips one up the middle, it's fielded by the shortstop. Outside of the at-bat against A.J. Minter in the eighth inning where he looked bad, he looks like he belongs. And that's what's most important. He looks like, yes, he belongs offensively. Overall, he was good defensively. I know he had that 
I don't know if I want to call it a miscue, but he didn't make the play on the Grissom ground ball on DeGrom's final pitch. But at least for these two games, and it's only two games, granted, he looks the part. And that's encouraging. And it's also something where if he hits, and it's only two games, so who knows, if he hits, that's his job. Like, that job is not going back to Eduardo Escobar. It's not. Eduardo Escobar didn't hit enough. So it wouldn't be him losing a job because of injury. It's losing a job because he was ineffective. Essentially, he lost the job anyway to Luis Guillerme. And I think with Luis, we all love the guy. His best role is a super utility role. So this is Beatty's job, which I think is really, really exciting. All he's got to do is perform. And they gave him the start against the lefty, Max Freed, which they should. (laughs) What were you going to do? You're going to start Devin Marrero? Like, they don't have a lot of great options. I don't think they're sticking Mark Canna back at third base. So not only is Beatty here, Beatty's going to face everybody. Uh, and you look at the Phillies, it's mostly righties this weekend anyway with Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler, and Kyle Gibson. Um, I'm not sure if Ranger Suarez is going to pitch in this series. I don't think he is because I think he pitched the other day. So they're not going to face any lefties, at least starting-wise. He's going to get a chance, and that's exciting. Hopefully he kind of does what Michael Conforto did back in 2015. He was a huge part of that team, including hitting a couple of home runs in a World Series game. So I'm glad we don't have to scream and yell about it. I think the difference between Beatty and Alvarez, why this one was more of a no-brainer, is they need Brett Beatty. I think with Alvarez, we were always trying to find a way for them to need him. As much as they don't get offense from behind the plate, I've at least accepted it's difficult to ask a 20-year-old to catch in a pennant race. And say what you want about James McCann and Tomas Nito. James McCann made the arguably the play of the game in Game 3 of this series, throwing out Ronald Acuna trying to steal. I don't know if Alvarez does that. And obviously handling a pitching staff is also impossible to measure when you're dealing with Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett with the 85 pitches he has. So I think with Alvarez, it was right-handed DH sure made sense. But I think we were just pushing it with Beatty. It's a no-brainer. He's the top third-base prospect in baseball, and the Mets had nobody to play third base. They were going to stick Mark Canna over there. So I'm glad they did it. They had to do it. They had no choice but to do it. And now he's got to perform. And his parents' reaction was amazing. You got emotional, Hoff. Didn't you tear up when you saw Beatty's family all uh, jumping up and down? No, I, I got asked that by BT today, too. Like, I, I wouldn't, like, say I was getting teary-eyed. I was jumping out of my seat. Don't get me wrong. Like, that was a freaking moment right there. But I wasn't getting as emotional as I think other people may have been getting. But it's okay. And, and, but listen, it, it was I'm a moment. Scared. I'm surprised, though, even more so with you than me. I have a five-year-old, and I've got some a, a, a child who's about to be two, all right? So while they play baseball and they like baseball, they're still a long ways away. You have a kid that plays, like, travel baseball. So I'm sure there are moments where your brain says, oh, my God, he may make the majors. Oh, my God, I hope the Mets draft him. That moment could happen to you and your wife. Now, me, I'm further away from it. So I would think it would resonate more with you than even with most others, no? Yeah, I, I that's what I was, was told today as well. But I, I again, agree like, with me. I, 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 I agree. It should, but I, I didn't. I don't know why. I just was happy that I listen. The thing was, I was jumping up and down, like I was excited, like that. That to me was just like for the game, for the moment. It was amazing. I, I wasn't teary eyed. So 
I guess I'm just not as emotional as I thought I was. All right. Look at that. Me and Brandon Tierney agree. How about that? <laughs> We're with you on that. Um, one other thing. Uh, as far as the playoff announcement from this week, which I thought was significant. I thought it was a very significant announcement in terms of how the off days are going to be structured in the divisional series in the LCS. Number one, I got a big issue with it. I hate it. I don't like it. Uh, I would prefer the format we've all grown used to, which is 1-2, off day, 3-4, off day, game 5. That's not what's going to happen. There's no off day between game 4 and 5, which is less impactful because the way it used to work is you would almost have a choice between regular rest of your game 1 or game 2 starter for game 5. So if the Mets start DeGrom in game 1, Scherzer in game 2, in theory... Both guys would be ready on regular rest to pitch game five. That's out the window now. You start game two, it would be short rest. You start game one, you're good to go. So I think the decision on who starts game one is more important than it would have been in the past. The bigger deal is the LCS. Because in the national, I think in the ALCS, there's an off day between game one. The ALCS is weird, but we're doing a, a podcast about Rico Bronia and the Mets. All right. There's no off day. Between three, four, five, six, seven. So three, four, five, no off day. It's three, four, five, six, seven, which means you need five starters technically in an, in a league championship series. So before this series started against Atlanta, I would say that helps the Mets. The Mets have a really good five man rotation. That's good for the Mets. You can roll out a Carlos Carrasco and a Taiwan Walker, potentially. But now, if you're short arms, it, it doesn't help you. Um, I don't know, with Jake especially, and even with Max Scherzer, because Max Scherzer's a guy who had a tired arm last year in the postseason, how willing Buck's going to be to start guys on short rest? Now, obviously, I think in theory, if your season's on the line, how can you not? But I've seen managers before, especially the last few years, say, I don't want to do it. Because I don't think I'm going to get the best out of my guys if I start them on short rest. So it definitely adds a different element of strategy in terms of your rotation. In the LCS, sometimes you can't pick your rotation per se, especially if you have a five-game series in the divisional series. You're kind of rolling out guys after they had just pitched. So in the Mets case, if you have Jacob DeGrom pitch game five of the divisional series, obviously... He's not pitching game one of the NLCS. just doesn't always work that way. But it does, I think, benefit the team with the deeper rotation. Not the team with the shorter rotation, but dominance at the top. Now, the Mets have dominance at the top. We all know that with DeGrom and Scherzer. They also, if healthy, can have the length. Because having Carlos Carrasco start a playoff game, you can do a lot worse. Having Taiwan Walker even start a playoff game, you could do a lot worse. Chris Bassett, I think we all assume starts a playoff game. I think for us as Met fans, we all just look at Chris Bassett and say he's your game three guy. I think that's the way we view it. So in the divisional series, I think it hurts a little bit in terms of the choice about who would pitch game five. Because some people even say, oh, who pitches game five, Max Scherzer or Jacob DeGrom? I think it's Jacob DeGrom. But in the old format, and I think the format they'll go back to next year, you could almost make a choice where if your guy struggles in game one and the guy who pitches game two dominates, you're just feeling better about that guy. Not saying I would do that with DeGrom and Scherzer. You would have each guy 
on regular rest for a game five. That's gone. That's out the window. So, you may also think, and I, this may be overthinking a little bit, who's more equipped to come out of the bullpen on short rest? Max Scherzer or Jacob DeGrom? Probably Max Scherzer because Max has done it. We've seen Max Scherzer pitch in the postseason on short rest coming out of the bullpen. So, if you start DeGrom game one, Scherzer game two, which I think we all assume anyway, you'd have DeGrom on regular rest in game five, and you'd have Scherzer out of the bullpen on short rest for game five. The LCS is a little bit more complicated. It doesn't change in terms of the guy who was starting game one would pitch game five. The where it changes is if you were going to go three days rest, three days rest, three days rest, the way the Yankees would with CC Sabathia back in the day, the way Bob Gibson would do back in the day. I'm going to pitch game one, game four, game seven. That's gone. If you try to do that, it's not going to work because of the lack of off days. So your game one starter is only going to pitch twice. Game one, game five. I mean, technically you could push that guy back and give them an extra day rest, have them pitch game six, depending on the way the series is going. So there's a lot of interesting options. I think the health of the Met rotation and the way guys are pitching will dictate a lot of it. But it was a significant announcement, and I don't love it because I get we had a lockout, and I get that we're trying to condense things into a smaller schedule, but I don't like effing with the playoffs. I don't like effing with a playoff that we're used to, a format that besides 2020 where everything was screwed up, there were no off days in 2020 because there was, excuse me, no travel. I don't like doing that. I would rather schedule another freaking doubleheader. Or, how about this, have the World Series go one extra day. We're already going into, like, November, so what's another day? Maybe it's TV, but then again, Game 6 and 7 are Friday, Saturday. Wouldn't they prefer Saturday, Sunday? So, or Monday, Tuesday? At this point, when you're going into November, what's another couple of days? And let's also all be honest with each other. Minnesota's not getting to the World Series. We don't have to worry about it at November World Series in Minnesota. Houston has a dome. In New York, we don't give a crap. It could be 25 degrees. Yankee fans, Met fans will all be so pumped up that we have ourselves a chance to be in the World Series. So Atlanta, it's warm. L.A., it's warm. San Diego, it's warm. There's a dome in Houston. I think I already said that. There's a dome in Toronto. There's a dome in Tampa. And the Twins and the uh, Indians have no shot to get to the World Series. Oh, the Guardians. I'm sorry. Cleveland and Minnesota, they ain't getting there. So what's the difference? Have it go to mid-November. So when I heard that, I was by the pool. Uh, my wife was giving me a strawberry daiquiri. And at the time, she says, "Hun, I don't know if you saw, but there's no off days between <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was checking my phone. I wanted to see if Kevin Durant was traded or not or if he's bitching about something else. And I see this format. I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we taking off days away? I didn't like that. So I think, as obviously, as we get closer to the postseason – It'll be something we examine, but don't be taking our damn off days away. How are you feeling, Hoff? Are you down because this team lost three out of four? Or are you feeling a little relaxed? No, I said it uh, earlier in a tweet uh, just before the game finished. I said, I'm the most frustrated I've been all season because that Alonzo hit and run was Little League. And honestly, Alonzo is struggling right now. He he's what three for twenty four or something like that. He can't be swinging the bat. There needs to be. This is little league one hundred and one. 
If you have a, a fast runner at first base who's going to steal, let him take the first pitch. Let him yeah. get the base. It's that simple. That, to me, screwed the whole inning. So, yeah, I'm pissed off because that was a game we could have had in many different ways. And like we talked about, DeGrom, that was the worst we'll ever see him. And it was, it's amazing how they find a way to lose the, that game for him. So, yeah, I'm pissed. Yeah, I think what just has to happen now is they got to survive Philadelphia because as pissed as I am about the game and losing to Atlanta, what I do is I look at the standings because that's all that matters. If the Mets win the National League East, these games kind of fade away into darkness. Like, I don't remember any tough loss from 2015 other than the Justin Upton game. No, I do remember that, actually. I take everything back. I remember every tough loss. But no, when you win a division, it eliminates all. And right now... What this loss in Game 4 and loss in this series did is it was a reminder that this race is not over. And I think after they won 4 out of 5 a week and a half ago, there was this feeling of, wow, it's over. Wow, we're going to run away with it. I think I may have even said it on the Rico. Wow, we may run away with it. We're not running away with it. The Atlanta Braves are a 95-100 to win team. They're that good. And they've shown a lot of fight. And give credit to Spencer Strider. You know, I crapped on him. Everyone crapped on him. Yeah, I went out there and threw a hell of a game. And he backed up his whole, the Mets are lucky talk. The good news is this. The Braves are about to play the Houston Astros. And hopefully, the Houston Astros, who manhandled us, who took care of the Yankees, can do us a tiny bitty favor and take care of Atlanta. Because for the next month, we're going to do a lot of scoreboard watching. We're done playing these bastards. I mean, we obviously play them in October. Uh, that final weekend of the regular season. But there's a lot of scoreboard watching. There's a lot of, we got to take care of our business, and hopefully the Braves lose a bunch of times. I think this weekend is going to be the trickiest of them all. I really do. I think, and this is not a knock on the Yankees who have had their struggles, uh, not a knock on the Rockies, maybe it is a little bit, even the Dodgers next week. This weekend coming up against the Phillies is going to be a real test because they don't have their big guns going. They're dealing with potentially three depth guys out of four games against Philadelphia. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at three depth starting pitchers in these four games. So if the Mets can show some offense and nut up a little bit and somehow get two of these games, I'd feel very, very good going into that Subway series. And hopefully you get some help from the Astros. And so this lead can maybe even increase by doing that. But that's going to be a tough weekend. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I think there's a chance Monday morning going into the Subway Series against the Yankees may be the most negative we've been all season long. we got to take a deep breath. Four games up on Atlanta. One win against the Braves in October, that final weekend of the year, means you'll win the season series. That was the other reason I wanted to win this game, just to secure the season series, because that's the tiebreaker. So... The Mets are putting themselves in a spot where that weekend against the Braves, it's the final weekend of the regular season. Then they got three games against Washington to wrap it up. They got to find a way to win a game. Obviously, we'll see what the standings look like at that point. But winning a game secures at least the tiebreaker in the National League East. So this sucks. This was the worst loss of the season Thursday night against Atlanta. The series was frustrating as a whole. They dealt with a lot of injuries. Survived this weekend against the Phillies. And... Go from there. And my vacation's almost over. I'll be back with Craig Monday at 2 o'clock. I will leave North Carolina. That's where I am. The beaches of North Carolina. Braves country. Those bastards. And I'm coming back to New York for that Subway series. 
which is weird because the Yankees are worried about their issues, and now we're worried about the freaking Atlanta Braves. It's going to be a weird little Subway Series, but Scherzer and DeGrom in both of those games, which should be a lot of fun. Uh, before I drink myself to sleep, anything to add, Hoff? Uh, yeah, I was just at Judge's Chambers uh, on Tuesday, so you're rep- you're going Monday. Is that true? Are you going Monday or Tuesday to the game? I'm going Monday and Tuesday. Mets, Yankees, Subway Series? Both games. You're going to uh, – how does it – now, it's different because you're going because the Mets are there, but does it feel dirty walking to the Yankee Stadium? It's a business trip, Pete. When I walk into Yankee Stadium for Mets-Yankees, <laughs> it's a damn business trip. We go in there looking for wins. I'm even going to take my son, my oldest son, Jed, to the second game of the series to see Jacob DeGrom, and hopefully we take care of business. Look, I have great respect for Yankee Stadium. I have respect for the Yankee fans, at least some of them, most of them. I don't know how the hell you went to the judges' chamber. I refused when I was asked by Craig, hey, would you go into the judges' chamber and put a hat on? No. I'm a goddamn Met fan. I'm not going to the freaking judges' chamber. Did you put the wig on? Did you put the whole uh, judges' outfit on? No, I had, I had nothing. Good. I didn't. I was very neutral. Didn't do any of that stuff. Didn't cheer. We were on camera. I, I, was on, I don't know if Good. I was on camera, but when they did do a, a shot of us, I made sure I gave the biggest stank face possible. So that's what I tried to do. <laughs> Good job out of you. Good job out of you. Well, my fellow Med fans, if you're going to Philadelphia, which is something I did try to convince my wife, hey, we're driving back from North Carolina. You know what's on the way? Philadelphia. Didn't go over. I wasn't able to land the Philly trip, but if you are going to Philadelphia this weekend, have a great time. I love that stadium. I hate the city. I don't like the fans, but I love Citizens Bank Ballpark, and then obviously the two games against the Yankees, and then we can take a deep breath playing the Colorado Rockies, tough series against the Dodgers, and then the schedule will certainly soften up as we enter September. So this sucks. Let's link our wounds, and let's move the hell on. Uh, I'll be back with Craig on Monday in time for the Subway Series at 2 o'clock, and we'll have another Rico right after they wrap up this four-game series against the Philadelphia Phillies, and I'll be back in my home studio, so you won't have to hear waves in the background if that's what you've heard. If you haven't, whatever. There were waves in the background. I'm sitting on my deck at the house we rented, staring at the beautiful ocean waves. Anyhow, thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.